The scripture reading today is Matthew 6, 5 through 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thank you, Catherine. Well, good morning again. And um, I'm excited to preach on this passage because um, most people would think because I'm a pastor, um, I'm excited to preach about this because it's one of those things that I do all the time is pray. But I want to encourage you that I struggle with prayer too. As a pastor, as somebody who is supposed to be a professional Christian, right, um, I wrestle with prayer just as much as anyone. And what was, what's encouraging for me as I go into the Bible and read Jesus' sermon here as he's unpacking prayer is not so much what I tend to do is run into it and go, gosh, I just need to pray more. But Jesus doesn't talk about praying more here. Notice he expects us to be praying, but he doesn't say, you need to pray more and that'll do better. He doesn't do that. He talks about how we pray. He goes to the heart of prayer. There's been an article um, for the last, I don't know, maybe three, four weeks. Maybe it's an older than that, but it's been circulated quite a bit lately. And it's on um, actually men and their relationships. It's called The Biggest Threat Facing Middle-Aged Men Isn't Smoking or Obesity, It's Loneliness. Now, many of you have actually forwarded me this article. Someone else, I forwarded it to other people. I mean, it's, it's one of the most circulated articles uh, going around today. And what I find interesting about it is what's underneath it. So here, here what, a little snippet of, of uh, the author and his, his kind of story. I turned 40 in May. I have a wife and two young boys. I moved to the suburbs a few years ago where I own a fairly, fairly ugly home with a white vinyl siding and two aging station wagons with crushed goldfish crackers serving as floor mats. When I step on a Lego in the middle of the night on my way to the bathroom, I try to tell myself it's cute and that I've turned into a sitcom dad. But during the week, much of my walk, walk, waking life revolves around work or getting ready for work or driving to work or driving home from work, or texting my wife to tell her I'm going to be late from work. But much of everything else revolves around my kids. I spend a lot of time asking them where their shoes are, where they spend a lot of time asking me where they can have some dada time. It's, it is the world's cutest phrase, and it makes me feel guilty every time I hear it because they're asking, me, asking it in moments when they know I cannot give it to them. And when I'm distracted by an email on my phone or I'm dealing with the constant boring logistics of running a home. And we can usually squeeze in an hour of data time before bed, mostly wrestling or reading books. <clears throat> and so the real data time happens on weekends. That's my promise. I have to go to work, but this weekend I tell them we can have data time. I love data time, and I'm pretty good about squeezing in an hour of me time each day for exercise, which actually which usually means getting up before dawn to go to the gym or for a run. But when everything adds up, there is no real friend time left. Yes, I have friends at work and at the gym, but those are accidents of proximity. 
I rarely see those people anywhere outside the environments, these, those environments, because when everything adds up, I have left almost no time for friends. And he, this is his phrase. He goes, I have structured myself into being a loser. <laughs> One of the things I love about this, there's two, two parts about this article. And I think this is an article broad, even if you're not in this stage of life. I've talked to countless, when I was a campus minister, people leaving campus, one of the most difficult things was not having proximity friendships. People lonely. It's so much harder to have friends when I, once I graduate. Why is that? What's it like once you, your kids leave your home or you're kind of on your own? Maybe you just moved here and you're single. Maybe you're here and you're constantly trying to find your place in loneliness, but the two things I found that was interesting about this article that I think go across the board of wherever you are in spectrum is it first shows the pragmatic nature of our culture. It shows that we are a culture of doing and doing and doing, and then when we stop only for a moment to look up, that's when we go, where is everybody? We are a doing culture, constantly producing. The second thing here is that it shows me, myself, as well as us, that we really don't know how to do relationships. We're a culture of Snapchats and sound bites. And so we treat our friendships like that. We keep up through other means, but are we really present together? What does that really mean? And that means across the board, whether that story is your story or not, you know that feeling. You've experienced that. We are a doing culture. So why, when we come to prayer, would it be any different in our relationship with God? Why would that be any different? Because what we typically do with our relationship with God is make it about what we do. If we're doing things that are churchy or religious or Christian-y, then we feel close to God, right? But are we really? And then sometimes we look up and we go, God, why are you so far from me? And we wonder why. So much of our time is taken up. Why would it be that way? See, when Jesus started the Sermon on the Mount, he began by talking about how we <clears throat> hide our character and we need to show it. But here, he, he kind of reverses field. We talked about giving last week. This week, we're talking about prayer. <clears throat> and what he's talking about here is he's saying that we as a as a people, if we're following God, we need to think about what's the depth of our relationship with God when we're tempted to show it, when we're tempted to act like we do all these things religiously, right? What's the reality of that? See, and prayer is the most revealing place of that. This is why I'm excited to preach on this is because it exposes us more than anything else. And not just, Jesus isn't just talking about public prayer. He's just talking about public prayer is important, but what happens in private? What happens in that relationship that you have with God when no one else is looking? What is it like? What are you like? Are you real before him? Should understand, to understand our life in, in God is not that, this is not a sermon of, let me tell you five steps to pray better. Jesus doesn't go there. You don't need to pray more. You need to, the, the thing is, is you and I need to learn about who we're praying to and that'll drive us to pray more. 
It'll cause the aching of our hearts to, to connect as much as we want to connect to other people. So as we look at this, this passage this morning, we're just going to look at two things that Jesus draws out for us. First is being seen. And what does it mean to be seen and standing and that whole posture? And the second is being in secret, shutting the door. What does he mean by that? Two simple things that Jesus says. The first is being seen. There's a posture here that Jesus starts with when he begins and he says, and when you pray, right? Notice he's saying when you pray, not if you pray, but you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners that they may be seen by others. Now what he's talking about there was in those times, the synagogue would, would, would make a call, whether it's a trumpet or some sort of calling and in the moment, or maybe during the, the daily sacrifice, wherever uh, a Jew was in the, in the proximity of the temple and they could hear that trumpet blast, they would stop, stand where they were, and actually offer prayers. So there was a public nature involved. But what you can see would happen was that in this moment, there certain people would find it, well, this is, I'm doing public prayer. They would stand on the street corner if they were there and offer their public prayer in public as this beautiful ritualistic thing for everyone to be around them. And so it becomes this competition, especially if you're a Pharisee, if you're someone who loves to take up the word, loves to take up the word of God, read it, study it, understand it. And, and, and their prayers would be such. It would be a temptation for their doing to take over, <laughs> for their relationship to God to be this, here's the trumpet blast, time to pray, ritual thing. And many of us may think that's what prayer is. But I think that the doing and being, and I think the confusion of that is a huge theme in our culture. Massive theme. Look, even if you watch kids' shows, it's funny, um, w between my two kids, I'm, I'm resurfacing actually shows again that, you know, one kid who's a little older, they're five years apart, loved, and now the next one is coming up and loving different ones. But, but there's a couple shows particularly uh, Thomas the Train is one of them, I'll tell you that. It's not that the shows are all bad, don't get me wrong, don't be one of those people that just throws the show away, but it is interesting that the theme of Thomas the Train is you must be very useful. It's about you being useful. And, and it's really a theme through many things. That's how we feel. We need to be useful people. We are a people of production. Maggie Jackson, who is um, a great author, she's written a lot on um, our distracted culture and the, kind of the death of reflection, uh, how we hail multitasking. You can look her at Google or look, up, look her up and there's a lot of things. But one of the things she talks about with uh, just being distracted is the erosion of our attention the erosion of our hearts, so that we, we hail ourselves as being these multitaskers, especially with our phones. We can do it at home. We can do it anywhere we are. We can do, 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 and we don't really stop, even when you read from that article about that man and his own life. But what it does is it splits us. It, it, we, we don't really sit in, 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 the, in the moment of reflection and relevance of, of the people we're around. There's not a presence we, 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 we divide ourselves so much that we actually don't give the person or, the, or the, the, the people we're with the time we're with them. We're thinking about what's next. It's easy to do. And so she even says this, it keeps us from seeing the more relevant and permanent parts of life. We love um, our efficiency, but what it's doing is it's, 
It's, um, in, it's eroding our ability to focus and grow as workers, even in our own work and craft. And it produces more, but it may produce more, but we see less competent and relational workers. Isn't that interesting? That the actual presence, our heart is being divided. This is what's going on in prayer. This is how, how prayer becomes a doing because what, what has happened to us as a culture is we are a culture who, who we, we're, we're divided. We don't know how to actually sit and reflect. What Jesus is saying is by talking about the secret parts in the standing, is we just, it's just a part of our day. It's just something that kind of comes and goes. If we're doing the, the things in our day, what fits, what doesn't, we're very pragmatic. What produces? And prayer, isn't it the case for many of us in this room? We often think prayer doesn't really produce much for us. Stopping and praying isn't doing. We're not seeing something out of it. So prayer becomes this thing that happens maybe in a car once in a while. Maybe when we're really anxious about something, it attaches itself to something we need to be done, right? So prayer in, in the relationship of that becomes a part of doing it. It becomes a part of production for us. And it becomes a part of us making ourselves do better. Flannery O'Connor, one of my favorite Southern writers, actually wrote a book called uh, her, uh, her Prayer Journal. And she really wanted to learn how to pray. She, she even cried out in one part of it, teach me how to pray. How do I do this? Listen to her honest assessment of prayer. And tell me if this is not you and I. Dear God, I cannot love thee the way I want to. You are the slim presence of a moon that I see and, and myself is the earth's shadow that keeps me from seeing all of the moon. What I am afraid of, dear God, is that my self-shadow will grow so large that it blocks the whole moon and that I will judge myself by the shadow that is nothing. I do not know you, God, because I am in the way. How beautiful. And how easy is it for us to get in the way that our hearts, what happens in our doing, our hearts become cold and distant, not just of those around us. What is true for you on a horizontal level is always gonna be true for you on a vertical level. To the degree your relationships are here is the same degree it's going to be with God. Even if you're here this morning and you are still, you're, you're exploring God, you're, you're maybe taking a step back into church, you're asking about who God is. It, I have to encourage you, that is on parallel. It always is true for us. No matter who we are, it's just across the board. It's built into our nature to do so. So our hearts do that. And so what creates us to be hip, hypocrites is if we, if we focus on our own being, if, we, if prayer becomes something that, that only feeds our doing, if it only becomes about our production, doesn't, don't we become hypocrites? Because aren't we the ones that talk about prayer here and there and use it as a spiritual phrasing, a vernacular that, that we use that sometimes people go, oh, okay. Remember when you walk away from people and you say, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll be praying for you, or I'll te we text. And we say we're praying for somebody. Are we really doing it? Or is this a vernacular? Is this a talk? Is this a speak that we just use because we would call ourselves Christians, because we're, we read the Bible, or because we go to church? There's an actual parable that Jesus uses here. 
It's called the Pharisee and the tax collector. And it's interesting that he, he sends, the, he, t- he talks about this to the Pharisees to show them their hearts. And he says that the Pharisees stood up and, and talked about all that he has done for God. And the tax collector stood far away and wouldn't even look up. And he had his face cast down. And he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the actual Greek language that Jesus uses to talk about the Pharisees is not that he's praying to God, but the actual Greek language says he stood up and he prayed to himself. Isn't that the difficulty in our prayer? Sometimes we just are praying to ourselves. It's almost become this therapeutic thing of way we use to comfort ourselves. But Jesus is saying it has to be more. Being seen, even the language, I talked about this last week, but God is using this language here of they have received their reward. That language is of commercial transactions. It means that our even relationship with God has become this t- commercial thing. Transactional relationships, those of you who are business-minded in here obviously know this. Everyone, uh, it, it, transactional relationships are basically the gifts of goods rendered and, and received. It's just you're giving and taking. There's not much to it. There's no heart in it. It's, it's of goods rendered. And, and so have we approached God in that way? Are we, are we approaching God for what he can do for us? A couple ways that I think we do this. We don't have times where the trumpet blows and we stand and we pray. But a couple ways that we do this, I think, is how much do we say are we praying for someone when we really aren't? I think that's a way that we stand and pray. How much do we utilize that language when somebody's sick or hurt or we hear about something? When, 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 when we're walking away from a conversation, oh, I'll be praying for you about that. Do we really mean that? Is that a reality? Because otherwise what we're doing is we're actually labeling it as being seen. We're standing. It's a being seen of our, our relationship with God. It's not that we shouldn't say that to people, but does it really connect? When we say it, is it coming from a heart of this or is it us just trying to say it to comfort the person across from us and make it sound good like we really care for them when we're not really caring for them before God, are we? Prayer becomes of self-interest. It's kind of like a a, a name dropping. It's like a spiritual name dropping. We, we tend to use prayer in, in the South sometimes like we drop hints of that we're a Christian or a God. We use this speak. There's actually a hilarious video called uh, Stuff Christians Say. I don't know if you've seen this. You can Google it. It's hilarious. They use a million different phrases that people that would consider themselves followers of Jesus use. They talk about the, oh, I want to pray for his unspokens and their unspokens. And man, we had some sick fellowship last night. And if you're here hearing me use these, these words, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, yeah, that's, that's a weird speak that Christians have. Watch this video. It is hysterical because it really pushes the button of the fact that we use all this language to promote ourselves as someone to be seen as a Christian. This vernacular. And yet, is there a real deep connection of our hearts? See, prayer isn't about us roping God down to our whatever we need him to do. It's actually about us being brought up into him. See, that's what Jesus does when he says, 
But when you pray, go in your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. It's not about being seen so much as being in secret. Yes, we should pray publicly. I just did it earlier, so (laughs) there you go. But what Jesus is saying is in secret, what happens? Isn't that one of the scariest places to be? When you're actually in your room by yourself? See, what does it mean to be in secret? It means you get the real you. The real you comes out. C.S. Lewis called our, our modern day culture a kingdom of noise. What happens when the kingdom of noise shuts off for just a moment? What's it like for you to drive across town and not have the radio going, not have your, your uh, iTunes playing, but actually have quiet for 20 minutes in a car? What would that be like for you? Would that be deadly to your ears? See, what Jesus is getting at is in secret, it's revealed. Even this weekend, uh, it, hap- it happens uh, to me. Uh, Megan and, and our boys are visiting cousins in Houston. I had to stay here for, for work reasons and, um, and wasn't able to go, so I've been home alone. And the first day is usually this way where I, I'm able to kind of just enjoy. I'm like, oh, wow, let's quiet. The quiet is great, but soon the quiet becomes loud. And I notice that there aren't pitter-pattering feet or other noises going on around me. I'm actually more aware of me. And I'm faced with the reality of who I am. That's why Jesus is saying, go in, shut the door, and pray in secret. Because when you go before God in those moments, you're faced with the real you. You should go in and be with him in that place. Paul Miller wrote a great book on prayer. He wrote a book called A Praying Life. If you want a book to read, excellent book. It's called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. He says this. When we pray, we should come overwhelmed, come with a wandering mind, come messy. Ironically, many attempts to teach people to pray encourage the creation of a split personality. You're taught to do it right instead of the real messy you meeting God. You try to recreate yourself by becoming spiritual. It's about coming to God in the mess. It's even praying about your wandering mind. Many of you may encounter that when you try and pray in quiet. Where maybe a minute, maybe 30 seconds you're able to speak about something. All of a sudden you start, what do I have to do today? What about the times of just going before God as a child. Isn't that what he's saying? Being in the presence of our Father. See, what Jesus uses this language here when he says, shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father, that language would be astounding to them. To them, to a Jew in that day, to be considered God as your Father. That is a, that's revolution. For us, we may talk about that vernacular a lot, but maybe we need to back up for a moment and think about the intimacy in which Jesus is trying to say that we should have in those secret moments with our Father. That those are the moments where we come wandering mind, childlike. You are not going to learn how to pray just by trying to read more books. I mean, I'm I'm encouraging you books, but these books are even driving us back to go to God with all of who your, what your mess is. To be a child before the Father. 
One of my favorite things to do is to talk to little kids. And I have my own children, but even to talk to other little kids and hear their questions. I get to do, uh, sit with Jordan Bear now when we do our um, kind of our, uh, 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 I guess you could say, questions for kids that are wanting to start taking communion. And it's just beautiful, the questions. The reality, the, 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 the kind of the, the, there's no mask there. There's no real question of like what we're adults. Like, well, let me ask about the theological, you know, like we're not, they're not doing that. They're asking like, why do, why do angels talk like this? Or, you know, like, tell me about what that's, what is, why do we do this? Why wine and bread, you know? Have you ever thought about just prayer going before our father and letting the real us come out? In, in, in relationship, discussing the things because he is our father. He wants us to bring our hearts to him, not just the anxieties, but the realities of who you are. He wants you. He doesn't want your stuff. He doesn't want you just to have the great life. He wants you. And do you know what? It's interesting. If you ever read the, the prayers that Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's a, he's a man who wrote a lot of letters in the New Testament. So we're in Matthew right now, which Matthew, these is one of the Gospels. But after this are a lot of letters that were written to different churches. And when he writes about prayer in those letters, he never talks about their circumstances being better. If he does, it's very quick. What he always talks about is his longing for them to know God more every time. No matter if they're in a great situation or a horrible one, he says, I long for you to know God more. To have joy in that relationship. To really know him. To be with him. And it can be, it can be prying. I, I, one of my really dear friends uh, growing up, his birthday is coming up, so it reminded me of this. And on a spring break, uh, when we were in college together, he he and I took a road trip through um, 11 states in nine days. I mean, it was crazy. So fun. Drove the whole way, obviously, because why would you fly that? Um, and I remember one of the, 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 the times we drove, we drove all the way from Denver or around Denver, Colorado to Memphis, Tennessee in one day, 22 and a half hours in a car. And I will tell you one thing, you learn a lot about a person in 22 and a half hours, right? You go through insane moments, you go through, gosh, I'm stuck in here with you moments, you know, like you're driving through Kansas, there's nothing but wheat and just like flat land and all you see is a billboard that says, you know, six-legged cow, come see here. You know, it's like that's all you got. That's the only distraction you have. You can't turn the radio loud enough, you can't sing enough songs, it's got, you're in the car. And you learn about the idiosyncrasies. And we even knew, you know, like I've known him forever. And yet I'm stuck in a car with him for 22 and a half hours. You learn things you don't ever learn. Being in secret, shutting the door is about being with your father in the awkward moments. Isn't prayer odd? Doesn't it feel odd to you? I mean, Jesus calls it out in a way. He says, praying to your father who is in secret, the unseen God. The Bible talks all the time that God is unseen. It's not like trying to hide the fact that it can be a strange thing. But that is how he makes, it. He makes himself present. He makes himself known. Jesus says, here he is, pray to him. 
Let your heart be wrapped up in the moment with him in all the idiosyncrasies, all the ways you learn about him in the word, of his word that he writes to us. Tim Keller wrote a great book on this as well. So two books, Paul Miller's book and Tim Keller's book on prayer, if you want to, just a resources called pr- just prayer. And what Tim Keller does, he's a, a pastor in New York City. He wrote a book that, that com- says that in our prayers, we should have awe and intimacy, both. That oftentimes we usually have one or the other. We, we go to God for in the awe moments of him being so great, so distant, so far away, or we go to him in the just intimate moments as he's just our therapist that we just kind of dump out our hearts and he hopefully fix it. And what we need to have is both. That we need to go to him in awe, that, that it is not an equal relationship. He is our father. There should be a moment in prayer we should approach God with a holiness, with a whoo moment. I'm before someone who is way bigger than me. That it should transform our hearts to say, this is his kingdom, not mine. Because we need that. Because most of the time we approach God about our kingdom. Fix my kingdom. But going to him in awe is about saying, God, this is your kingdom. Teach my will. Teach my heart to know what you want most for it. And then we also need to go to him in intimacy with love, with this, his care for us, that he has deep longing. That here's what's unique about the Christian life is that God sets himself as both. He says, I am both high and exalted and to you, low with you. I'm not just far away, I come to you. This is why Jesus, the language of using father was huge to them because to them, they thought of God was just so far away. To us, we often think of God just so near and our struggle is knowing how great he is it is both you're learning you're approaching with this this childlike faith and we learn from who he is in his word but you know what's amazing about both these things is being in secret and what I find is so powerful is the fact that Jesus talks about God unseen but yet he makes himself known. How do you deal with that? How do we deal with the fact that prayer seems like such a weird thing? That sometimes we feel like we're just talking to a ceiling. You know, even when we stop for confession, even in a moment we'll do a time of silence. What do you do in the silence? Are we talking to an unseen God? Jesus says that, but what he says here that's so beautiful is he, ta- he gives us prayer, which is called a means of grace. Means of grace are things like communion, prayer, church, the Bible. These are things that we often do, but we don't realize what they are as magnifying glass of our being. We stop oftentimes at saying, oh, it's a prayer time, I'll bow my head. Or we stop oftentimes at just taking the bread and the wine or reading the Bible or just coming to church. But what these are to be is a magnifying glass of our Savior Jesus. He gives us tangible things. Look, he gives us his body and blood to say your prayers are effective. Did you know that Jesus is actually still physically next to God by the throne right now? And he has to be. That he, when he ascended into heaven, he had to stay physical in order for us to have an advocate next to the Father. 
that when you take this bread and this wine, you're realizing that there's a real tangible presence next to God speaking on your behalf. And that not only that, he gives us the counselor, the Holy Spirit, his spirit, Jesus' spirit itself speaks in ways that you and I can't speak that gives you encouragement to come to a table like this because it's not about how great you do your spirituality. It's about who you are in him. It's your being. It's not your doing. It's your being in him. So this morning, as you contemplate coming to this table, if you're here this morning and you would say, this is great, I understand, but I don't know if I trust Jesus. I don't know if I, I feel like I could pray or take this communion or or be a part of this. I'd encourage you to stay in your seat and contemplate that. Pray, actually go before God, speak to the unseen God that makes himself known in his presence in his flesh and blood. And if you are following him, come to this table and profess your being before God. This is about you. You don't get to come to this table because you did anything. I don't get to be at this table because I did anything. I get to serve this and eat this, and you get to eat this as well because we are in him. We are being in Jesus. Celebrate that. Praise be to God. Let's stand together and read our confession.